electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, a light at the end of the tunnel. That's what uh, Uber CEO is saying about a mixed quarter. We'll tell you why the stock is down this morning. Then, work from home stocks have stopped working with names like Peloton, Zoom, DocuSign, all getting cut back to levels we saw last year. Is that ride over? That's coming up next. And then later, a CNBC exclusive with Michael Dell, this hour on Tech Check, and Bill Ford from General Atlantic in just a few moments as well, John. Yeah, and a couple of big tech earnings this morning as well. Uber shifting into reverse. We will get that in just a bit. Also watch Etsy, down big after warning on slowing user growth. PayPal, though, in the green as online payment volume continues to benefit the bottom line. And don't forget Zynga. We will talk about that play with the CEO later this hour as that stock also rises this morning. Dee? Well, John, we got to start with Uber. Is it time to reconsider Uber and Lyft as reopening plays? Yes, ride sharing is rebounding amid the reopening, but the wall of worry is growing. Take Uber's results last night. Revenue was hit by $600 million charge for UK driver reclassification. Losses, they look better than they should have because of that $1.6 billion sale of the self-driving unit. The company is going to have to spend more to get drivers back on the platform. It also warned that its delivery business could slow this year. And Carl, John, these are not one-time issues, but they're themes that are far from resolved and will determine Uber's future profitability. You certainly see it playing out in Uber share prices. Uber's barely holding on to gains for the year. And over the last week, gig economy companies have been hit hard. You see Lyft, DoorDash, Uber, Fiverr. There's so many questions that overhang these companies and the gig economy, John. Yeah, I think investors need to look back at to what really makes these technology companies. In a way, the worst part of sort of the tough news in Uber shouldn't have been a surprise, and that is the worker costs. I mean, Amazon's hiking worker pay, right? We just saw that in the last few days, but Amazon's model is going to sustain that. Uh, They've got the AWS cloud. They've got robotics in their warehouses that they've been Mm -hmm. investing in. You know, Uber and Lyft, they don't have AWS, and they've sort of pivoted away from that driverless story, which they had been saying, Carl, was close. So how good is their technology? How much efficiency is that going to be able to drive as we see those very real worker costs rising, I think, is a question. Yeah, it's fascinating, especially for a name that on the macro front appeared to have a lot of optionality. The Bulls said if the recovery went well, it'd be great for rides. If there were setbacks, it'd be great for eats. But as you can see, uh, Dee's point on the shares uh, has been a mixed picture. What better place to start with our first guest? Let's bring in uh, Bill Ford of GA along with our Leslie Vicker. Hey, LP. 
Uh, as Carl mentioned, great place to start. You all were invested uh, in Uber, recently sold your position in Uber, but you've also had some other significant IPOs uh, in the last few years, including Airbnb uh, and six IPOs this year alone of portfolio companies. So I wanted to get your take on the IPO market just to kick things off, because uh, recently we've seen some tremendous underperformance for IPOs. The IPO ETF is currently down more than 4% just today alone and over the last month has been underperforming the S&P. So uh, do you think the IPO window is closing at this point in time? I I don't think so, Leslie. I think we're seeing an IPO renaissance right now. Uh, We've taken no more than six companies public in any given year in our whole 41-year history. We've taken six public so far already in 2021. And as as you've read in the press, that we've got a number of others uh, that are planning for IPOs are on file. And I think the reality is investors are excited about having access to the most interesting, innovative entrepreneurial growth companies. And you know, one interesting fact that, uh, to talk about is that it used to be that from venture investment to IPO averaged about five or six years, but over the last decade, that's moved out to 10 to 12 years. So investors have real pent up demand for access to the most exciting companies in the world. And in response to that, a lot of them have been uh, delving more into growth equity. For example, uh, you're seeing that world becoming more crowded with the likes of hedge fund investors. You've got uh, Tiger, D1, Co2, Dragoneer, just to name a few that have really gotten into growth equity investing in a big way. Uh, But then you also have private equity firms now getting into growth equity with Blackstone. Uh, They've got a different scale, a different mandate there. Uh, And then, of course, you have VC firms getting bigger. You have SPACs that are also providing capital to some of these same deals that you'd be looking at. Uh, So how do you still see opportunity in the growth investing world? You all have been doing this for for 40 years. Uh, You've got $53 billion in assets under management. But with all of these new entrants and growing entrants, uh, how do you compete? Well, I, th- I think growth equity came into to real focus last year and this year as, as investors, private investors, public investors recognizing that growth, innovation, entrepreneurship were going to drive some of the most in- exciting investment opportunities in the world. And, and that did attract a number of new, new entrants into the, the investing market. But at the same time, our opportunity set is larger than it's ever been. I mean, one thing that we look at is, is how global uh, entrepreneurship has become. If, if you look at the Right now, our research team tells me there's 600 global unicorns, and almost half of those are outside the U.S. in places like China, where there's 125 unicorns, India, Southeast Asia, Latin America. We've had great success with, with as that country has as that continent is digitized. So I think the the opportunity is much much broader than it's ever been. And yes, there's more there's more investors looking at it, but uh, we see no shortage of opportunity. Well, let's talk about that global opportunity, maybe starting with China, uh, because you've had two very prominent Chinese investments uh, that have caught a tremendous amount of regulatory ire, shall we call it, uh, recently. Uh, ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, caught between China and the Trump administration over whether it needed to to sell or risk the the banning of downloads in the United States. Uh, And then, of course, Ant Group is another one of your investments, which more recently uh, Beijing thwarted its plans to go public and has had more of a regulatory crackdown on how it is um, overseeing this company, um, which has caused a lot of investors to trim their valuation of Ant. So I guess my question is, is the reward worth the headache when it comes to investing in China right now? 
I, I, Leslie, I have to say absolutely. I mean, we're seeing such tremendous innovation in China. It's it, the, the quality of entrepreneurs, the quality of businesses, the global aspirations of these firms are are, are significant. And and I think uh, any global investor would be making a big mistake not to pay attention to those opportunities. Uh, we're fortunate to be investors in ByteDance and Ant. Uh, both are great companies. I, I think ByteDance has the potential to be the next great global internet company, with albeit with Chinese heritage. Uh, but but they're growing rapidly and they're really pioneering the short video market uh, and financial. You know, uh, it, it, you know, really uh, put electronic payments on the map. Um, you know, they have half half the market in China, and China is the most electronic of all the markets around the world in terms of payments. So, two very very exciting companies, and I think great examples of the kind of innovation we're seeing in China, uh, and, and why we're we're so excited about our business there. Good morning. It's John Ford. I, I, I covet your thoughts here on the cost of labor, particularly in the U.S. and Europe, and how that factors into some of these models. I know you've gotten out of Uber, but it's certainly front and center uh, as far as a lot of thinking after earnings. To what extent are you concerned in the ability of different companies' models and their technology to offset uh, labor costs? Thanks, John. Uh, great question. I, I, would, I would say this. I, I think what you're seeing is digital business models driving real change and, and in some places augmenting labor and, 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 and helping with labor shortages. If you look at food, fashion, travel, entertainment, now even education and healthcare, technology and, and technology-driven business models are having a huge impact. And, and they are dealing with, with the issue of, of not enough people to, to really uh, meet all the needs of these industries, especially as we have a recovery from the pandemic. Bill, good morning. It's Deirdre. I know uh, Leslie mentioned that you sold out of your Uber position, but you first bought into the company back when its founder, Travis Kalanick, was running the company. Did you think that it would be a more valuable company by now? Well, I, I think Uber has achieved so much. I mean, you know, they really did pioneer the ride-sharing market globally. Uh, you know, think how transportation has been completely reshaped everywhere in the world because of what Uber started. And and that's when we saw when we first made the investment. And and then they introduced, you know, the whole food delivery business. And that was a whole other leg of growth that we're seeing the benefit of right now. So I, I think it achieved a lot of what we'd hoped it would achieve. Uh, the, the market became more competitive. It changed in, in many ways. But on the other hand, uh, again, it's reshaped transportation in every in every uh, possible way. Right, but did it become what you and others hoped it would become? I mean, it was supposed to have a freight business. It was supposed to sort of pioneer the way in autonomous driving that would really help the margins and help it to get to profitability. It has really fallen short of many of those original goals that Travis Kalanick laid out. Well, you know, like so many, so many entrepreneurs start off with with a broad vision of what a company can become, and, and over time, as as a company has to execute and grow, it, its focus narrows. and And I think, you know, I, I think one of the best things that the, the current team has done, led by Dara, is uh, is really focus on rideshare and food delivery, and 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 focus on execution and improving performance there. and And I and I think, you know, this is a company that I think will continue to perform and grow over time. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's always going to be uh, in the news, so to speak. But, uh, but if you look at the big picture, the number of customers they're serving around the world, it's pretty darn impressive.
Bill, you recently added life sciences as a fifth core area of investing. Um, as you kind of read the news this morning over uh, intellectual property and the ability to transfer that, how do you look at that as an investor? Is that something that you see as a, a big concern in the life sciences space? Well, well, it, it, it's a concern, but I think the bigger the bigger picture issue is is just the level of innovation that we're seeing in life sciences globally. I mean, I, I I use the term internally and externally that we are entering the golden age of biology, where we're going to see innovations in life sciences over the next 10, 20 years that will be re reminiscent of what we saw in the technology space going back to the seventies and eighties up till now. And uh, tremendous therapeutic innovation, solving you know re really important human health problems, leveraging the human genome uh, a project that goes back now 20 years. And all that is, uh, again, leading to tremendous innovation all over the world. I mean, we're seeing it in Israel. We're seeing it in, in Europe, uh, of course, China, US. And so it's, it's another case of an entrepreneurial innovative segment that's gone global. And uh, I think it'll be a great place for investors to have exposure over time. Yeah, no, that's that's really fascinating. Uh, and kind of speaking of life sciences and, of course, the global pandemic that is still ongoing, um, you know, especially in emerging markets, GA has a lot of exposure to areas that uh, the virus is still ravaging uh, tremendously, including India and Brazil. Uh, the economy, of course, uh, responding to a lot of the health crises that are going on on the ground down there. Uh, what are you hearing from your portfolio companies and some of these emerging markets? Uh, and what do you think needs to be done uh, in order to help these areas out? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, I, let, let me start by saying you know, we're deeply concerned about what's going on in India and Brazil and other emerging market countries. I mean, this it's, it's, it's a human tragedy, and we're doing what we can to be helpful by supporting our, our, our investment teams on the ground, our portfolio companies, you know, and, and every, everything else. But I think the best thing the world can do is, is to accelerate the uh, uh, vaccine deployment in these countries, because what we start with, the reason we're starting to see the, the, the like what I'm calling the, the beginning of the end of the pandemic in, in Europe and in mostly the United States is because of vaccinations. And we're, you know, we're reducing the number of people who aren't vaccinated who can be exposed to disease and, and really terrible health outcomes. And so what we all ought to do together is find ways to accelerate the delivery of these vaccines to all these countries. I know we're trying to do that, but and, and as are many others, but that's really the only answer. We can't create enough healthcare capacity in these emerging markets fast enough to deal with the health crisis. But we can we can hopefully stop it from getting worse by vaccinating people. Bill, uh, one last question on another one of your portfolio companies, also in the sharing economy. That's Airbnb. Has it lived up to your expectations? Have you sold any of your stake or are you intending on holding it for longer? We haven't sold any of our stake. And, uh, you know, it's another terrific company that, you know, went public last year. And I think it's, a, as you've, you guys have talked about a lot on the air, it's a, it's a great recovery stock. People are excited to travel again, and, and uh, especially as they're, as they're increasingly vaccinated. And uh, I, I think Airbnb has done an amazing job creating a marketplace for that. I mean, they're, they're one of the original sharing economy marketplaces that have, uh, you know, again, reshaped the way we live. And so we, uh, it's another company we have great expectations for and uh, we're excited to be part of their uh, investor group. All right. Bill Ford, uh, General Atlantic Chairman and CEO, a rare interview. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your insights. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much, Leslie. Carl? LP, thanks for that, our Leslie Picker. By the way, an exclusive with Michael Dell is still on the way later this hour. Tech Checks just getting started. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. The street is mixed on Peloton this morning, a day after shares fell 15% as Peloton recalled all of its treadmills after several reports of injury and one death. Uh, Bank of America downgrading the stock with Peloton losing half its market cap since the January high. But Credit Suisse going the other way this morning with an upgrade. Still, most analysts remain neutral. Peloton has one sell rating out of 20 that cover it, just two buys. Shares this morning modestly higher. Carl. John, it's a theme we thought we'd have our Dom Chu look into. Some of these work from home high flyers back to levels, basically going back to Labor Day. Dom. So, Carl, it's such an interesting notion here. John mentioned that Peloton has lost roughly half its value. If you take a look at some of those work-from-home, stay-at-home names during the pandemic that we covered so much because they were on such a tear, just take a look at some of these names that are perhaps indicative of that particular pullback in trade, what we were talking about. DocuSign, when it comes to electronic signatures for things, is still up 64% uh, 64 on a one-year basis. But that white line you can see there from the highs that we've seen is now down roughly one-third of its value from where we saw it at, at its highs here. If you take a look at Chewy, still a 77% gain, but it's lost about 40% of its value since its highs that we've seen, that we've seen just recently here. So you can see that orange line. And then Teladoc Health, the green line down below, down 14% on a one-year basis. It's lost roughly half of its value since the highs that we saw over the course of the last several months. So just to show you more of those names that are, again, following Peloton in that same theme going lower. Of course, Peloton has its own issues. Now, one stock that has perhaps become the poster child of that particular trade has been the era. We actually refer to it as a verb these days, to Zoom someone, right? So Zoom video is now down about 2 and a third percent so far today. At the highs, the record highs that we saw over the course of the last year, this stock was worth roughly $161 billion in market cap, a mega cap company. Now, having lost what it's done over the course of the last several months, it's now close to around an 85 billion dollar company just to give you an idea of how much market value has been shaved off some of these work from home names but it's not all that way take a look at one stock when it comes to that work from home stay at home trade it's logitech they make mice mouses other home accessories for your computers that stock is up 123 percent over the last year and as you can see here it's pulled back but it's still holding up relatively well to where it has been since the record highs that we saw just a few months ago so guys it's very interesting, the development here. The high flyers, yes, are the ones coming back down. But some of these more secular names and growth in terms of accessories and hardware, doing pretty well, guys. 
Yeah, and, and Dom, that's a great uh, preview for our interview with Michael Dell later. We'll ask him about his forecast for PCs as we sort of entered this hybrid model. Dom, I thought it was interesting. Last night you had uh, Sundar Pichai at Google sort of walking back their remote plan. It was a little bit more strict. And we've had other CEOs come on the network and say that if you don't have a hybrid and a relaxed hybrid work plan that allows people to walk from home, you're going to have to reverse it. So, you know, I just wonder if that could see a revival in some of these names, if Zoom's going to stick around, Peloton, in a bigger way than perhaps investors are accounting for right now. So, so it, that, Deirdre, that's an, a, a, an excellent point. So, so the reason why the market dynamic is so interesting right now is because this is perhaps a revaluation of what's happening with these particular stocks. And what I mean by that is you can have secular growth themes over the long term about what it looks like for hybrid work environments, more work from home trends being intact, and have companies like HP Inc., by the way, you mentioned Dell before in speaking with Michael Dell. HP Inc., by the way, the the personal computer and printer maker is now $1 away per share from a record high that it saw going back to the dot-com era. And a lot of that move has happened in just the last six to nine months for HP Inc., It comes down to whether investors are going to try to figure out what that equilibrium value is, even with a long-term growth trajectory that you could see in the future. Now, what I would say is you can still believe in the long-term prospects of a company like DocuSign or Teladoc or Wayfair or Etsy or others, but say to yourself, you know what, maybe some of these stocks have run too far too quickly in a short amount of time. So that revaluation is a real, real, I guess, eye-opener for how the markets are treating some of these more secular growth stories when it comes to things like work from home. And by the way, like I said, HP Inc., printers and personal computers. I know you guys are talking to Michael Dell, but it's crazy to me to think that so not so long ago we were talking about the kind of like secular decline of these types of, of companies. It, it's pretty amazing to see what's happened for companies like this, like, like Dell, of course, and HP Inc., guys. Yeah, and HP keeps splitting into lots of different companies. Of course, you got HP Enterprise uh, that, that used to be a part of that. And whether it's mice or mouses, I'm going to go with mice. I'm going to go with mice. I think it's mice, Tom. <laughs> yes, Thanks. I think it's mice. <laughs> and what to expect <laughs> from Roku earnings today. That's next. Plus, a breakdown of the feud with YouTube. And later, as we just mentioned, Michael Dell in the CNBC exclusive. Tech Check is back in just three. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Ford, and Julia Borston this morning. Stock's in a bit of a tight range once again. Uh, Obviously, tech is uh, underperforming. Got the Nasdaq on pace for the worst week in a couple of months. Apple's close to a one-month low. The ARK Innovation Fund, some of those smaller names, down 4%. And then big earnings coming tonight after the bell, including Dropbox, Expedia, Square, and Roku. Speaking of which, Julia Borston has more on what we might expect tonight. Hey, G. Good morning to you, Carl. Well, after benefiting from lockdowns during COVID, as well as the growth of streaming in the past year, now when Roku reports, we're going to be listening for its outlook and also for potentially revealing signs about how many hours 
people are spending streaming compared to the last couple quarters. Now, Roku is expected to add about 3 million accounts between Q4 and Q1, and it's expected to grow its revenue over 53% from the year earlier quarter, while its loss is expected to fall by more than two-thirds to a loss of 13 cents per share. Now, Wedbush upgrading Roku, saying the recent pullback provides, quote, a decent entry point, saying Roku continues to benefit from accelerated user expansion during the pandemic, a secular shift from linear TV to OTT, and the beginnings of international expansion. The other big question, though, is what Roku will say about its standoff with YouTube TV. Google pulling its streaming TV subscription app from Roku's app store over a breakdown in negotiations for what Roku says are unfair demands from Google, including preferential treatment in search and access to user data. Now, Google says it doesn't want to give Roku special treatment at the expense of its users' experience. Now, an estimated 1 million of YouTube TV's 3 million subscriber base access the service through Roku, according to Truist, which estimates that if the app is pulled off of Roku's platform entirely, it hasn't been yet, but if it is, up to half of those accounts could leave for another platform, such as an Apple TV or Fire TV. So we'll have to see if they share any updates on whether users are leaving the platform or whether they think it's impacting their growth, guys. JB, speaking of streaming at large, you know, we're more than halfway through earnings season. We've gotten metrics from HBO Max at AT AT&T, Peacock at our parent Comcast. And now your thoughts on Paramount Plus and Viacom. Paramount Plus and Viacom, I mean, I think the real story out of Viacom's earnings this morning is not only is streaming growing faster than expected, they added more streaming subscribers than anticipated, but ad-supported streaming is huge right now. Pluto TV, that's the company that Viacom acquired because of its strength in ad-supported streaming, that business growing faster than expected. And also they said because of the success of that, they are going to be launching an ad-supported version of Paramount Plus at $5 a month in June. So offering a lower price option to get more people and use the benefit of ads. Speaking of the benefit of ad-supported streaming, we also heard earlier this earnings season from Comcast, CNBC's parent company, that Peacock's ad-supported streaming business is going great. And one interesting thing about Peacock, it grew to 42, um, I'm sorry, uh, Peacock grew to, to um, the, the Peacock streaming business, 42 million signups. What's so interesting about this is those viewers are watching 20% more hours of programming than the traditional NBC audience. So guys, if you think about that in terms of the number of ads those people are seeing, how much more targeted streaming ads can be than traditional TV ads, that definitely bodes well for revenue from the streaming TV world. Right. And I guess you can watch it on many more devices. Uh, Julia, thanks, thanks for that roundup. Time now for a news update. Rahel Solomon has that for us. Good morning, Rahel. Good morning, and here's what's happening at this hour. Weekly jobless claims have fallen below half a million for the first time in more than a year. Now, that is still roughly twice the pre-pandemic levels. Meanwhile, worker productivity shot up 5.4 percent in the first quarter, although economists say that the pandemic is distorting the data and sharp increases may not be repeated. Pfizer CEO sharply criticizing growing efforts to waive intellectual property rights for COVID vaccines to speed their production. He says that a dangerous and counterproductive precedent could be set. I truly believe that uh, it makes zero sense not to mention about the disincentives that will create to the whole biotech industry. If waiting the patents, what does it mean in the next uh, pandemic? And those patent concerns also driving down the share prices of many vaccine makers, including Moderna, 
which is dropping another 9% today. That's despite posting its first quarterly profit ever, thanks in large part to strong sales of its coronavirus vaccine. But, John, it'll certainly be something to watch uh, as this debate continues. I'll send it back to you. Yes, indeed. Rahel, thank you. Also today, a new study from Stanford Business School examining unique challenges black entrepreneurs face that can lead to smaller company sizes and higher failure rates. Those challenges include a lack of access to capital. I talked to Stanford researcher Inara Tarek and Stanford MBA Fatima Diko, who is founder and CEO of Sugar. Diko told me she was able to raise funding in the pandemic, but it wasn't easy. If you've been rejected by a bank before, you're going to be less likely to, you know, want to apply. I had some previous understanding of the online lenders like Blue Vine and Cabbage. So I was more likely to, you know, go through them. And then we were luckily able to gain funding um, from those sources. But when I talked to a lot of my black uh, business owner colleagues, a lot of them were not familiar of the online lenders. And so that was one angle that I that I experienced firsthand. And then secondarily, you know, we're we're in the process of closing a $2.5 million round. A lot of that was pitching people you never met before on Zoom. And for that full conversation, we get into all those issues point by point and the uh, study. Follow CNBC Tech Check on LinkedIn, or you can head to the Tech Check account on Twitter. Stanford's going to publish that study in about an hour and a half. Carl? No, oh, that's good stuff, uh, John. In the meantime, B of A takes Zynga to a buy this morning. Strong Q1, sustainable double-digit organic, they say. Uh, they say it's the, in the best position it's been in at any point in its history on mobile. We got the CEO, Frank Gabot, on the quarter coming up next, so stay with us. Reporting a strong first quarter this morning. Shares are up 3%, raising full-year guidance on expectations of strong demand for its live gaming services. I spoke with CEO Frank Gabot earlier this morning, and he highlighted how the company has adapted to round-the-clock features. Take a listen. What we really try and do on the platform side is make sure that all the information is being generated in the games, like what features are working, if we make a mistake in a game, how can we learn from it and do better next time? All of that is shared across all the teams, and we create a lot of interesting tools for the teams to be able to run their live services because this is a 24-7, 365 type of business where something can uh, go great at 2 a.m. in Turkey, and, and we want that to propagate through the rest of the company so we understand how to stay on top of it. It's a very fast-moving market. The company also pushing yeah. into console gaming, but that 24-7, 365 mobile market, he says, still the company's focus. I also asked about the App Store feud that we've been following between Apple, Epic Games, that 30% commission. Here's what he said. The issue is what value do you get for the 30%? Um, and so from my perspective, when we look at our relationship with Apple, um, we have a lot of very positive things in the relationship. And there's things that we work on privately together, company to company. Um, so from my perspective, we'll see what happens with the trial and whatever answer comes out. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll incorporate into how we operate going forward. Doesn't sound like he is going to be joining the epic battle. Uh, we also discussed Zynga's plans for the metaverse and crypto and that futuristic looking device over his shoulder. Uh, so check out the full interview. Just go on Tech Check's LinkedIn or Twitter page. You can scan the QR codes that you have been seeing throughout the show on the screen. Carl. Very cool, D. Uh, Dow's got a bounce here, uh, up 163. Some of the pharma companies got a bounce as well as Angela Merkel comes out against waving pharma IP. In the meantime, Michael Dell is just moments away. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back. Dell Technologies World 2021 kicked off yesterday, continues today. The company laying out its vision, including Apex, its new as-a-service offering. For more, here's founder and CEO Michael Dell. Uh, Michael, great to have you. Want to talk about cloud and the vision, but start off with the current new shape of Dell after announcing the VMware and Boomi spin-offs. You say that you're going to continue to have this working relationship with VMware. Customers won't really notice a difference, but explain what's the new focus and shape of Dell Technologies after these spins. So look, today we have announced that we're moving our whole business to uh, as a service and on demand. And Apex is now live. For us, this is a big TAM expansion. And Customers have been telling us, and we've been growing our on-demand kind of cloud experience business. And this allows us to provide flexible consumption, scalability, simplicity. Uh, right now, we're offering our Apex data storage services. This is uh, you know, uh, done in a very transparent way as far as pricing, no overage fees. We're rolling out our Apex hybrid and Apex private cloud which integrates compute network and storage together. Our Apex Flex on demand, which allows customers to scale up and down uh, as their demands change and pay for what they use. And our Apex data center utility, which provides incredible flexibility in metering uh, and managed services across their entire data center. And you know, this combined with uh, the growth at the edge, you know, we think 75% of the data will be outside of a traditional cloud or data center uh, within five years, and there'll be tremendous growth at the edge. Uh, that, uh, you know, together with the capabilities that we continue to build, co-engineered solutions with VMware, right. very excited about the future. Well, I mean, that, that's part of this narrative that we've been talking about for a while, that public cloud alone isn't everything. Explain why the edge is going to be important, and that's everything from you know smartphones, PCs, things that are not in the cloud or in the data center, but are really close to the user, whoever the user happens to be. How does that fit into the narrative around things like AI? Right, John, so think about the edge as the actual real world, the physical world, and what's happening is everything is becoming intelligent and increasingly connected, and so, uh, you know, applications, uh, you know, spring up where that data is being generated and bringing all that data back to the center, uh, you know, whether it's a, a, a private data center or a, a public cloud uh, doesn't, doesn't make sense. And that's why uh, analysts are predicting that by 2025, as I said, 75% of the data is going to be outside of those traditional clouds, public or private, or data centers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what you're going to have is distributed intelligence and compute that allows for real-time processing. And uh, you know we're, we're already seeing these edge applications emerge in a significant way in manufacturing, in retail, and healthcare. You know, in the fourth quarter, we had uh, hundreds of, of edge uh, customers uh, already emerging as a pretty significant part of our business. So right. we, 
we, we, we see this as a big area of growth. And 5G is just a massive accelerator there. Yeah. Of course, there's so much data. Humans can't reason over it. You need artificial intelligence and machine learning. Got to go back to VMware Boomi because I didn't get your thoughts there. Uh, a lot of investors have wanted a VMware spin for a long time. Why spin both of those? I mean, worth billions. Why spin both of them now? So uh, we believe, first of all, it's a very shareholder-friendly move. It, it does unlock growth opportunities, both for VMware and for Dell Technologies, and certainly unlocks uh, value for stakeholders. The relationship between the companies uh, continues to be super strong. We have created a unique and differentiated commercial agreement, basically taking all the things we were doing informally and building that into a structure uh, for the next you know, five and a half years. Uh, and all of the joint innovation, the uh, joint products that we've developed, all of that continues full steam ahead. So really no change for our customers and partners. I think both companies will be stronger. Obviously, it simplifies our ownership and capital structure. And certainly with the uh, sale of, of Boomi for $4 billion, that's going to just further accelerate our flexibility, allow us to focus on our core and uh, you know, uh, yeah. will certainly help us with our investment grade ratings. Michael, talk to me about domestic chip production. Your friend Pat Gelsinger, formerly of VMware, now the CEO of Intel, is leaning heavily into that. We've heard from TSMC that they're going to do a lot more domestic inside the U.S. chip production as well. How important is it to Dell Technologies to source a significant number of your chips in the U.S.? Um, e even if there's a cost difference there? You know, what, what we want is an efficient supply chain and uh, no disruptions. And if you think about how uh, the products that we're building are uh, impacting the world, right? It's for digital learning, uh, all the work from home solutions, every aspect of the economy requires these semiconductors. And, you know, the United States uh, consumes, you know, uh, roughly half the semiconductors, but it's only producing 12%, and that's been going down. So additional investments, um, you know, like the kind you mentioned, and certainly the focus that the administration has placed and a commitment to uh, making sure that those investments don't harm uh, all industries, um, you know, I think I think that that uh, investment in semiconductors here in the United States uh, is is super great to see. The closer we are to our customers with our supply chain, uh, the more resilient uh, it's going to be. Michael, you're going to stick around. We're going to take a quick break and talk more about Dell and this technology environment when Tech Check continues. Michael Dell still with us. Michael, there, there's been talk over the past few days about the role of politics and social issues at work. And in the past week, Dell Technologies joined Intel, NTT Data, NASDAQ, and SNAP in what you're calling the Alliance for Global Inclusion, an initiative to share data around fairness and diversity. Why is that important? So, look, I think, uh, you know, creating a equal and 
an inclusive work environment uh, not only is the right thing to do, but it's it's good business and it's inspiring for our team members and allows us to attract and retain uh, the largest uh, workforce. And and you know we don't want to exclude anyone. And and uh, we've set aggressive goals for ourselves in the past. You know, a decade ago we set, we had our 2020 goals. We made great progress on those. Now we've set our 2030 goals. And, uh, you know, this is all very consistent with the focus we've had on ESG inside the company and certainly making our company a, a, a great place for anyone to succeed. You know, Michael, it's been interesting on that topic. It's Carl, by the way, to see you go back and forth with the governor on, on House Bill 6. Abbott says... Uh, CEOs of companies like Dell and American need to stay out of politics, especially when they have no clue what they're talking about. What's the what's the response to something like that? You know, we don't really want to be in the business of commenting on every single bill in every single state uh, when it comes to these things. But, you know, I did sign on with many other leaders uh, to, uh, you know, a, a statement around uh, voting rights, and you know, feel very strongly that you know, if you're not going to stand up for voting rights, uh, what are you going to stand up for? And uh, you know, uh, we're we're trying to focus on 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 running our business, and and don't want to be pulled into to all these debates. But but uh, I think there are times when it's important to speak up. Right. You pick your battles. Uh, Michael, good morning. It's Deirdre. Lastly, just want to get your views on the return to work. We had Google Google walking back its policy to be more flexible on remote work. Coinbase closing its San Francisco headquarters altogether. Do you think that other companies that have laid out somewhat stricter policies, even outside of tech like J.P. Morgan, do you think that they will end up walking them back also? We'll see. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that People like the flexibility, and I think uh, you know every organization will figure out what's right for them. You know, we expect that roughly 60% of our team members are going to work in some kind of remote or hybrid structure after the pandemic. Uh, we're hearing something kind of similar from our customers. Uh, certainly, that's a big demand driver for us in our business, and uh, you know we're we're seeing positive trends there. Uh, but you know. From all the challenges and, and the, the tragedies, I think there are learned behaviors that are quite uh, positive hmm. about how work can be done from anywhere. And Michael, we, we can't do an interview this year without talking about 5G. Uh, we saw some strong results from Qualcomm and from Apple, and a lot of that was led by higher end devices and demand there. To what degree throughout the next 12 months is, is 5G demand living up to your expectations despite the pandemic? I think I think because of the pandemic, 5G gets an acceleration. Mm. And of course, that just turbocharges everything at the edge. And we're also involved in 5G. We have a telecom business where we're providing carriers with 5G infrastructure. And as you know, this new 5G infrastructure is created in a disaggregated fashion, uh, it's moving on to the kinds of software and infrastructure that Dell Technologies creates. And that uh, new 5G world, whether it's the carriers or private 5G networks, is going to just accelerate this data era 
And all these things, uh, you know, feed off each other. So uh, super excited about what's happening in, in 5G, uh, great opportunities for us and for our customers. Michael Dell, uh, founder, chairman, and CEO of Dell Technologies. Thank you. Um, you know, Deidre, uh, we've seen uh, so many big technology companies throughout these eras go through different permutations. Uh, one of the stories that I think hasn't been told the way it should be quite yet is how Michael Dell, over the past several years, managed to uh, come under activist pressure from Icon. Remember that? Get out from under that. Get EMC and VMware. Now spin those off and, and be a part of this cloud story. Not every uh, long-standing technology company has gotten to do that. <laughs> No, it's been quite the journey. And, John, you've covered it well, an incredible story. Um, and we're going to be watching some of the trends that we talked about tonight, Carl. We've got another slew of earnings, including Roku, Dropbox, Square, Expedia, uh, some of these names under pressure today. And uh, we will be talking to Drew Houston of Dropbox tomorrow, Carl. Yep, we're more than halfway through earnings season, uh, guys. We're finishing up some of these high-flying tech names, as you said, busy earnings week. And then we'll get to some of the more consumer-oriented names and the retailers on the back half of the earnings season overall. Uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster on the markets today. We did see some pressure, especially on pharma, on this news of potential waivers on IP. Angela Merkel came out against it. Then the White House says they're unified for something like that. We're going to watch it, as well as Gary Gensler of the SEC about to start his testimony on GameStop. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.